All right, our scripture passage is a pretty familiar one this morning, Matthew 6, and we're going to be reading from verses 5 to 13, Matthew chapter 6. And today in our series on prayer, we kind of come to, uh, it's not a flashy topic, but it's kind of the kind of the nuts and bolts that the Bible gives us with regard to the uh, structure, the patterns of, of our prayers. And um, yeah, this is teaching directly from the mouth of Jesus, which um, we know that all of scripture is God-breathed, but uh, it puts it into context for us that... Uh, that Jesus is the one who spoke these words and taught his disciples and us uh, how to pray. And so Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, this is Jesus talking. He says, And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have been forgiven our debtor, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, if you're curious about something, if you want to know more about a specific topic, it really, really doesn't matter what it is, um, what is one of the best ways you can learn what you desire to learn? It is to ask an expert, right? Ask somebody who knows about the thing that you're interested in. Ask someone who has done that thing. You ever existed in all of history, no one has understood the practice of prayer better than Jesus Christ himself. No one has believed more strongly in the power of prayer, and, and no one has ever prayed with the confidence that he did. And in our text today, it's kind of nice because in a lot of texts of the Gospels, the disciples don't come off looking particularly good, but Jesus' disciples here in this text, to their credit, recognize Jesus' expertise in the area of prayer. It just so happens that they stumbled upon him one day while he was praying in private, and they were uh, so moved by his, his earnest and his intensity that, that when he finally got up from his knees, one of them asked, Lord, Master, Rabbi, would you teach us to pray? Now, Jesus didn't object to the question. He didn't 
uh, roll his eyes or anything. Instead, he actually seemed to appreciate that request, and he took full advantage of that opportunity and taught them how to pray. And I would argue that no other passage in Scripture so explicitly and straightforwardly teaches us how we should pray. And the advice that Jesus gave his disciples 2,000 years ago still applies to all of us today. And now we're talking about perhaps the the lead-in now to the actual Lord's Prayer. Um, What does Jesus say? He says, first, pray secretly. Second, pray sincerely. And third, pray specifically. Now, he begins this with something that, you know, I feel like I need to explain because I do an awful lot of public praying and I feel like I need to defend myself a little bit because that is something that you expect of me, right? Some people pray in public places. Um, Gatherings like this one, mealtimes, times. worship services, whatever it is. And, you know, I think that Jesus is saying that this is necessarily a bad thing. Prayer is perfectly appropriate in those situations, uh, provided that the motivation a person has for doing it is appropriate. And so in this passage, what Jesus is criticizing is the, the motivation to be seen and heard and to be kind of thought of and esteemed as especially religious. And so what he's saying is that prayer should never become this spectator sport that we participate in, okay? Certainly not something that we do to to give off signals to other people of uh, spirituality. Jesus emphasizes the point by telling the disciples, when it comes to your personal, emotional prayer life, Go into your room and shut the door. Find, find an empty office. Maybe it's even the garage or your car. Someplace away from people where you can be uh, uninterrupted and alone with God. That, Jesus says, is where you can pray most effectively. And so why this emphasis on privacy? Why this emphasis privacy beyond simply praying for attention, which obviously is a poor motivation. Well, first, I think there's an obvious and a practical reason this privacy. A private place ensures a minimum of distractions. Distractions are deadly when it comes to connecting with God. See, Jesus knows how our minds are put together. He knows that fighting distractions, especially in today's world, is going to be... And so he instructs us to avoid them altogether. Find a quiet place where you can connect and commune with God without interruption. Now, that practical reason of seeking privacy, I think, is extremely important, but there's even more subtle wisdom in Jesus' advice to pray in a secret place as well. Because once you identify that place, once you start to use it, I think something actually happens to that place. 
You are put into a mindset that this is what we do in that place. And so it becomes kind of like the Garden of Gethsemane to Jesus, a holy place, that place where God meets you. Time out. Cutting out all over the place, aren't I? What do you want me to do? create a designated place where you go to say your prayers over time you start to look forward to going there you appreciate the sights and the sounds and the smells associated with that place and and you grow to love the atmosphere of that place wherever it is because that is where you can freely converse with God which is this amazing amazing gift that is given to believers Now, my designated time for prayer, my personal private prayer is very early in the morning, and my designated place is actually right here in the church, sometimes in my office, and sometimes I just come in here to the dark sanctuary, sometimes I just turn on the lights of the cross. I love my time, and I love my place where I can meet with God. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I love to be here with people as well, okay? I love to be here with you all when we gather together for worship. I love the people that I work with, the people that wander through here, but the early morning time, the early morning hours in this place are also very, very special to me. I love to be here by myself, just me and God. And so if you want to take specific good strides in your prayer life, I want to encourage you to find a place. Uh, Many years ago, I preached a sermon um, where I used the illustration of a chair. It was the chair that I used um, back when I worked in my previous life. I would get into work early. I had a specific chair that I would sit in to do my devotions and pray. I don't want to limit it to a chair because some of you might want to pray standing up or walking around, but I would encourage you to find a place, a quiet place, free of distractions. I would also encourage you to go there during the best part of your day. And what I mean by the best part of your day is a part of your day where you are going to be free of distractions. And a part of the day where you are going to be able to consistently go. So, pray secretly. That was Jesus' first point to his disciples. The second thing he says, pray uh, sincerely. Don't get into the habit of babbling. Be careful of spiritual cliches. Try not to use meaningless repetition. Now, man... 
Part of this is probably because I have to pray in front of people all the time. I feel like I'm especially susceptible to this sort of thing. I find it all too easy to kind of fall back on, on sanctified sounding jargon, especially when I'm praying in public. I mean, certain phrases you hear enough times and they just start to sound appropriate and, and spiritual and, and pious and, and people just kind of get accustomed to that, not only speaking those phrases, but also hearing them. Now, Jesus, he wants us in prayer, especially our private, personal prayer, to talk with him the way that we would talk with anyone that we love and trust. He wants us to speak to him authentically and, and yes, respectfully and reverently, but also personally and earnestly. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. So God tells us to pray privately. He tells us to pray sincerely or authentically. And finally, he tells his disciples that they should pray specifically. See, developing prayer fit is in some ways like developing physical fitness. And a pattern can be very, very helpful in order to avoid becoming imbalanced in your prayers. Because without a pattern, without, without good practices, without a routine, you will probably just fall into the please God trap of prayer. Please God, give me this or that. Please, God, help me. Please, God, arrange this or that in my life. And yeah, occasionally you'll toss a few uh, thank yous heavenward when you notice that God has allowed some good thing to come into your life. And, and every once in a while when you catch yourself thinking or saying or doing something sketchy, you might even confess that momentary lapse of judgment. Now and then, if you're feeling uh, really spiritual, you might even throw a little bit of worship into your prayers. But the truth is, a healthy prayer life involves all of those things regularly and consistently. Now, this is something that I learned when I was very, very young. You guys have probably heard it too. How many of you have heard of the ACTS? acronym when it comes to prayer to kind of ensure that your prayers are robust and that your prayers include the right elements. The acronym ACTS stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication, which is a fancy way of saying requests. And Jesus, I would argue, provides an example of a balanced prayer in what we have come to call the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus begins with the words, our Father, and we'll go through this very quickly. Our Father. This is where we're going to start, and this is where we're going to circle back in a few minutes at the end of the sermon as well. Our Father is a very, very important address. Because we are never to forget that, that we are children of God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we, when we come to God in prayer, are praying to a Father that could not love you more than he already does. 
The next phrase, who art in heaven, is a reminder that God is sovereign, that he is majestic, that he is omnipotent or all-powerful. It's a reminder that nothing is too difficult for God. As we discussed a couple of weeks ago, God is the mountain mover. He is bigger than any problem that you could ever bring to him. And so, because he is who he is, we are to fix our eyes on his ability and not on our own worth. I'm switching. black one. Okay. Oh, where are we? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name is an expression of worship and praise to God. In other words, adoration. Okay. Adoration, which is always appropriate when we come to God in prayer. Why? Because he deserves it. Okay. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I need you to understand what this means, because this, um, this is something that for years, for years, I just prayed. It rolled off my tongue so nice, I never really thought about the implications of what we are praying when we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so understand what this means. This is a prayer to submit my will to the will of God. That is a prayer to submit my will to the will of God. That means God's agenda becomes first in my life, and my agenda means nothing. Put the will of God first in your life, in your marriage and with your family, in your career or ministry, with your money, with your body, with your relationships in the church. It is that Kyperian idea that Jesus Christ is Lord over every aspect, every sphere of our lives. Everything, everything throughout life is to be brought under his lordship and is to be put under his direction. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in my life. Give us this day our daily bread. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So what does that mean? That means lay out all of your supplications. That's the S of Acts. All of your requests whether they are big concerns or small concerns. Hey, if you need a miracle, ask for it without shrinking back. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's another way of saying, be sure that you're not the obstacle in your prayer life. This is the confession portion of that ACTS acronym. Confess your sins receive forgiveness, be willing to grow. And also, this is very, very important because this is a condition that's kind of placed on this in the Lord's Prayer. Live with that same forgiving spirit toward others. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a prayer of protection from evil and for victory over temptation. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Which is a way of ending your prayer with more worship, more adoration. Acknowledge that everything in heaven and on earth belongs to God. That the Lord is caring about you is a thankworthy and praiseworthy item. Thank the Lord for making it possible for you to talk to him through prayer. And then amen means let it be so. And so what we learn through what Jesus teaches us, what we learn through the actual model of the Lord's Prayer, is that God-honoring prayers are more than just a list of things that we want changed in our lives and in our situations. There's more to a a healthy prayer life than just cries for help and for strength and for mercy and for miracles. In addition to our requests, authentic prayer includes worship and submission and confession. Now, I feel I have to say this. The Lord's Prayer is an excellent model. But that said, I don't think that Jesus taught his disciples and by extension us, the Lord's Prayer, um, with the intention that that is the only prayer that we would ever pray. I mean, obviously, he had just warned the disciples against the use of repetitious phrases, at least meaningless ones. Instead, I believe that Jesus intended the Lord's Prayer to be used by us as a pattern, illustrating the the variety of elements that we just talked about in that ACTS acronym that should be included when we pray. Now, I said this as well a couple of weeks ago, that God's sovereign power is released and tapped into through prayer. And so that is importance, that is importance to the confidence that we have going into our prayer life, going into each day. For me, every morning in my time with God, confidence is important. It's also important to remember that God is interested in you and your needs. It's also important to remember that God is able to meet any need and that he is the one that has invited us to pray. You know, this isn't something that he lets us do and he kind of bears with it. No, no, no. He actually tells us, come to me in prayer. This is obedience just as much as it is pursuing relationship. So God's son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate expert on prayer, has given us instructions so that we know just how to pray. But look, for the blessing, for the miracle, for the miracle of prayer to begin uh, operating in your life, there's one really, really important thing uh, that remains. You actually have to pray. I mean, I can preach about prayer You can listen to every word I say about prayer. You can take great notes. You can share what you learned about prayer in this worship service with other people. But sooner or later, you have to bite the bullet and actually go into your place and pray. And then, and only then, you will start to understand what prayer is all about. 
And I guess what I want to say to you this morning is, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Jesus emphasizes in that opening address that God is our heavenly Father. So prayer, uh, first and foremost, and we're going to get to this later in the series, it is first and foremost about relationship. This can be viewed as a communication between a parent and a child. And this true and accurate image of God as a heavenly father and us as beloved children is our very basis for prayer. So when we get our conception of God right, the pattern falls perfectly in, pl in place and we realize that all the different elements that we talked about this morning are so appropriate and our prayer life is revolutionized. I just want to close this morning with these observations and implications and I uh, got these from uh, a guy that I respect, an author and and pastor, I don't know if he's still alive, but a guy named John Stott. And uh, let me just read these to you. These are implications of the fact that God is our heavenly father. First, a father loves his children. And so when I pray, acknowledge that God loves me, cares for me, provides for me, wants good things for me. Second, a father sees his children. God sees what is done, even in secret, and God sees in you a child, his beloved child. Third, a father knows his children. God knows our needs before we even ask. He knows our needs better than we know them ourselves. And so prayer, more than God being brought into alignment with us, is bringing us into alignment with him, the one who knows everything. And finally, a father acts on behalf of his children. Don't ever doubt it. I don't believe that there's such a thing as unanswered prayer. God promises to hear. God promises to act. God answers prayer with precisely what we need for today and for the future for our greatest good, and for his infinite glory. Amen.